Welcome back to Eldritch Girl 13th part 2 and we're kicking off with a bit of abduction uh, <laughs> um, we've got a Katie point of view we've got a Wes point of view um, and we get to see the family interacting uh, for the first time from within that perspective um, I kind of like this book because it shows you what the family think of Ricky and exactly what an unreliable narrator he is um so so the crows kind of hits different um after you've read this book maybe um but yeah let's uh let's get into it and see what happens uh, <laughs> again if you want to buy the books please do um it's available in paperback and ebook and you can grab them from amazon and anywhere the books are sold you can uh grab all the links on my card in my Twitter profile at CM Rosens, um, and you can grab the ebooks direct from me from my Kofi shop. Again, you'd be delighted to know that I'm not going to do the accents. Um, so <laughs> enjoy. Chapter one: Kidnapped. It's a chief principle in military affairs to go where you are least expected. Robert Louis Stevenson, kidnapped. Tenth of January. The orange display blinked. The train was five minutes late. Katie found a well-lit spot on the station platform, the only soul waiting for the last express train to London, Victoria. An aura of frosty vapour hung in the air around the lights, her breath streaming in front of her, drifting over the edge of the yellow line. Her handbag bumped against her side as she fidgeted with the strap, hard-shell suitcase glittering purple in the bright LED glare. She wrapped her knitwear layers closer around her, thick jumper still not enough to keep her lean frame properly warm. From her position on the platform, she could see up and down the track in both directions, the cyclopean red glow of the stop signal in the darkness, the shadows of the car park behind her where some of the streetlights were out. A few people had left their cars there overnight, despite the signs warning them it was at their own risk. Most things are at your own risk, Katie thought like crossing the road, telling people how you feel, running away. Dad was really going to do it this time. He'd been gearing up towards something for months and she wondered if the only reason she was still alive was because the new head of the family, Uncle Marcus, had told him not to touch her. Or to wait. Either way, Katie had been waiting for the axe to drop ever since Gran's... She hesitated over the word death. It was such a neat word that glossed over what had happened. No one would tell her who'd done it, though she was certain somebody knew. She wanted the beast to deal with it. She wanted to learn how to rip it out of her flesh and become it, set it on the killer and tear them apart. It might be any of the elders, or Gran could have had some enemy outside the family that Katie didn't know about. She couldn't imagine anyone being strong enough. Certainly not her dad, although he wasn't sorry Gran was gone. Her mum was embracing being a grandmother herself these days and was babysitting all weekend for Kim and Adam, so it was just her and her dad alone in the house. As soon as her mum left, Katie knew. It was the first time they'd been alone together since the summer, and the way he looked at her, regardless of what he'd been told, she knew what he was going to do. They'd been polite to each other, Ian Porter was good at frosty politeness. He made himself innocuous with it, made you think he wasn't interested in you, and that made most people assume he wasn't dangerous. 
Katie knew better. She knew what came next. What always came next. He said they were going to go for a long walk on the wheel together. Bonding, he'd called it. He'd never used that word before. He'd never wanted to take her anywhere. Katie had locked herself in her room and called her best friend, then her oldest brother. Where said staying with him was fine. He hadn't sounded keen, but he hadn't asked questions. He knew what Dad was like. Besides, there was something she needed to tell Wes face to face, and she didn't know how to. Not yet. She hadn't banked on the train being late. Had her dad noticed she was gone yet? What would he do when he did? Come after you, you stupid bint, that's what. He'll come after you and he'll kill you. There was movement between two parked cars. Katie pulled her case between her and the entrance to the platform, bouncing on her toes to warm up her cold muscles. Running was what she did best. A short man who had barely come up to her dad's chest appeared from the car park through the open barrier, hands in his pockets, a hood covering his head. She recognised the walk and the grey hoodie before she saw his face and fought to keep her breaths deep and even. Not him, she pleaded, but at least it wasn't her dad. Shit, how did he know? She darted a glance at the board. The train was now ten minutes late. Biting down on an already over-gnawed part of her cheek, she nipped raw skin away and winced, dragging her case closer like a shield. So you're off then, he called over to her in his gruff deep voice, nodding at her suitcase. There was something dark and sticky on his top, splashed across his chest and smeared into the grey joggers. As he moved, the light changed it from black to deep red. He'd been reading entrails again. That answered her question, but not in a reassuring way. Not even going to say goodbye? Katie tightened her grip on the handle, knees locking. It's all sorted. Where's this picking me up? I'm going to live with him? She bit back a please at the end, but her voice still went up and made it sound like a question. He's only my cousin, she reminded herself. He's not what they say he is. He's not a god. He's not my god. I don't have to listen to him. Ricky Porter approached with an easy swagger, stopping a few feet away. As he lifted his chin, his grin sliced through her. Sure about that, are we? You never asked me if you could leave. The train was now showing as delayed. Katie gripped the handle of her case, knee bumping against the hard shell. She feigned cockiness, trying to match his attitude with her own, drawing herself up to look down on him from her few extra inches of height. He looked up at her with faint amusement, and she ground her teeth. You're not head of the family, and I didn't ask him either. I can make my own decisions. It still came out higher than she wanted. Ricky found this funny. Uncle Marcus? He bowed the knee to me and tore his own eye out because I told him to. Head of the family don't mean shit. I'm the one and only. I'm the one you need to check with, aside from the fact it's polite. He paused. Why do you think you're still alive? I'm not a kid. I can go see Wes when I want to. Her mouth dried up as she registered what he'd said. She wasn't sure she believed it, but Ricky wasn't known to lie. Would her dad take Ricky on? Did he really hate her that much? You're still a minor, Ricky reminded her. I'm 17. Like I said, he looked her up and down, cocking an eyebrow at her knitted layers. Did your mother not tell you to put a bloody coat on? Katie hugged herself and flushed despite the cold, tips of her ears burning. Piss off, you pervert. She regretted it as soon as it dropped out of her mouth like a stone, plunging to the ground in frost-pale mist. 
Ricky's grin sharpened, revealing a set of filed teeth. He let the insult slide off him, eyes bright with amusement. Oh dear, did you even bother to tell her? She still owes my mum fifty quid, by the way. The bile in his voice nettled her for reasons she couldn't explain. She does not. His eyes gleamed. Ooh, that was defensive. They've done a right number on you, haven't they? That's all right. Family's complicated. The last thing she wanted was to get into this with a man who had poisoned his own parents over a teddy bear. That was the story she'd heard, anyway, and she nearly threw it back at him, but it was a waste of breath. Katie flashed a look down the track, stretching into darkness, and back to the board. There was no sign of the train. It was still showing as delayed. The gate was open, barriers unmanned, the cafe on the other side closed up. She was still the only passenger waiting on the platform. Cameras? Where were the cameras? There must be some. Katie swallowed, dragging her case a little further down the platform and into the pool of light where the CCTV hung below the lamp. Her cousin let her retreat the few yards, shaking his head. They don't work, you know. Haven't for weeks. Katie glanced across the platform to see if the train to Hastings was on time. Don't do it, he warned lightly. She'd have to leave the case with all her stuff, her chargers, her hair straighteners, laptop clothes, favourite pillow. Her fingers twitched involuntarily on the handle. She tried to move the handbag strap over her head to secure it if she had to jump down onto the tracks and drag herself up the other side. But then what? He'd follow. Could she do it as the train was coming? Would she make it in time? Would it be going slow enough? Could she jump on before he got there? You won't make it, he said, with enough casual certainty to spike her gut with doubt. The train wasn't due that side for another five minutes. Her ticket wasn't valid in the other direction. What was beyond the station? The travel-in hotel, some rooms lit up on the upper floors despite it being the off-season, and beyond that, the high wall of the Jubilee estate. Her mate Rocket lived there. He'd help her. She dipped her hand into her pocket for her phone. Something whipped out and wrapped itself around her arms, pinning them to her sides. It pinched and pricked at her through the woolen layers, and she knew exactly what it was before she looked down and saw the sucking, needle-toothed mouths and the muscular coil around her waist. Her cousin hadn't come any closer. He didn't need to. There were more of the things sprouting out of the back of his head, the hood down now, the lengths twisting in the chill air. Silvery mucus coated her jumper, sticking to the threads like the tracks of snails, numbing her skin in patches where it soaked or ate all the way through. Katie couldn't help it. She took a panicked gasp of breath and the coil tightened against her diaphragm. She quickly gasped another and it tightened further as she panted out, so the third gasp was too shallow and there was not enough air on the platform, not enough oxygen in the air, the darkness of the night pressing down, smothering, muffling, and she couldn't scream or cry or breathe. Shit, she thought, dots bursting in front of her eyes. I can't breathe. He let her gasp and loosened the coil. A great cold gulp dried up her throat and filled her bursting lungs. Two breaths and the coil tightened again as soon as she tried moving her hand inside her handbag. Prickles of panic spread over her face, her eyes bugging with the effort of fighting for air. I ain't stupid, Ricky said conversationally, without rancour. You think you know best. I thought the same when I was your age. No one could tell me a bloody thing. She struggled, but the numbness was spreading. He'd bitten her. His coils had bitten her. 
The injected saliva was creeping through her veins, cold as a needle in her blood. She couldn't feel her fingers, couldn't feel anything in her bag. What if it reaches my heart? What has he done? What is it? What if... He was still talking. I thought, no point in asking her. She'd only take my advice the wrong way. Better do it direct. Your brother's a useless twat, no offence, and the omens don't look so good for you travelling right at the moment. Besides, you need to learn a few things before you achieve your destiny, and you'll learn best from me. He squeezed, a few more coils whipping around to support her, mouths biting through her jeans, taking out her legs. You're welcome, love. Her knees weakened, joints like jelly. She leaned on the suitcase handle, but her weight pushed it down and she sank with it, legs useless and limp beneath her. They twitched like they didn't belong to her, heels kicking over the yellow line, and there was no one around and the cameras didn't work and there was no train. Her bladder was water-weak, stomach dissolving in the churning fear. She tried desperately to breathe with quick, shallow breaths, fighting to pull herself up again, but the case was a mountain and so far out of reach, and she had no control over her body anymore. Ricky laughed, and a hot flare of hatred burst in a thousand coloured dots in front of her eyes. Relax, he said, crouching over her as her vision failed. His face was all angles, eyes glowing like stop signals. Something was thumping arrhythmically near her right ear. She twisted to see what it was. Her hand was bouncing limply against a suitcase of its own accord like a puppet that didn't belong to her at all. He set her head straight again so she was looking straight up, eyelids twitching but unable to close, barely able to feel his dirty fingertips against her cheeks. A cloud of his breath hit her with a puff of raw meat, fresh like a butcher's shop, but warmer, wetter. She knew that smell. Her lips tingled, throat constricting, vision growing darker. She was too numb to be afraid. Her vision doubled, trebled, unfocused. Cousin Ricky loomed over her, three-faced and blurred like a bad drawing of a storybook troll. You ain't going anywhere, Catherine. Everything faded to muzzy grey, lights blurred and blinding, before the night swallowed it all and the swirling smudges above her winked out into icy black. Chapter 1. Kidnapped. Part 2. Wes Porter stood with his hands in his pockets at Victoria Station, lost in the crowd. Well, as lost in the crowd as he could be with oversized epaulettes and a jacket Freddie Mercury would have killed to own. He'd already had a coffee, it was too late for another, and a beer would be better, but a porn star martini twice as good. His nerves were on a knife edge, jangling a warning. No one could ever remember his face, but in London that was true for everybody. He wandered over to the nearest shop on the concourse, bought a packet of cigarettes and watched the vague expression of the server unchanging as they looked away and he tapped the card machine. They hadn't even looked at him in the first place. The fact his face melted from memory the moment it was out of view, erased by something as swift as a blink, didn't matter. He'd always loved London. Katie's train was delayed, but it wasn't cancelled. He missed the announcement, giving some generic apology, and wondered if he had the time to go outside and smoke. Neither of his partners were home this weekend, which gave him a chance to think about what he was going to do with his sister longer term before they came back. She'd called and asked to stay the weekend, but he'd guessed from her tone that she was planning on staying longer. Wes idled the time away by texting Hugo something flirty and encouraging, but didn't get much back. 
He was probably being boyish and deferential with his father's clients, panicking every time the talk got technical. He texted Charlie too, but she was prepping for her photography exhibition and not in the mood for sexts. Wes itched to hit up a few of his casuals to while away the time, but he was waiting for Katie. One saucy invite and his nerve would crack. He couldn't do that. He checked the arrivals board again and shuddered. Thinking about his baby sister, their thirteenth child of a thirteenth child, had become an exercise in creeping himself out. Now there was only one year left until her eighteenth birthday. No, less than a year, wasn't she a Gemini? And then those dreams of hers would become reality. The beast would be released from where it lurked under her skin and it was every family member for themselves, survival of the fittest. Unless something happened to her first. He tapped his foot out of nervous habit. Where the fuck is this train? Why am I doing this? He toyed again with the idea of going out to smoke, but he knew if he walked out of the station now, he would keep going, leaving her lost and alone. He couldn't do that. He'd promised. His phone rang. Katie. Rolling his eyes, he answered and straightened up. Hey, how long are you going to be? She's not coming. The voice sent a chill down his back. He tensed with a deep breath, grip tightening on the handset. She's dead. The instinctive thought punched him in the gut, not with grief, but relief. The guilt bubbled swiftly after it, and he leaned back against the wall to steady himself. Evening, Richard. What an unpleasant surprise. Cousin Ricky hated being called Richard. This time, though, the gruff voice retained its aggravating calm. That's interesting, Ricky said after a pause. Not, what the hell are you doing, my sister's phone? Not, where is she? What have you done with her? He chuckled. Do you actually give a shit? Wes let out a slow breath. He found himself squeezing the cigarette packet in his pocket and scraped the plastic with his thumbnail. Course I do. The world was swimming, narrowing into a dark point. He blinked, shaking his head, and sank his lanky frame down onto the floor, back pressed against the wall. Where is she? What have you... What have you done with her? There was another silent pause, pregnant with an unspoken accusation. You asking what I done with her body? Wes shook his head, fighting to get his thoughts straight. You... You haven't. You haven't hurt her. You'd have let Uncle Marcus do it months ago if you wanted her dead. Why would you do that? She's no threat to you, is she? Ricky gave a low, humourless chuckle. Bet you wish I had, though. Bet a little part of you jumped for joy just then. His cheeks burned. Fuck you. Scares the living shit out of you, don't she? There was no background noise wherever Ricky was. Wes held his phone away from his ear, wanting the bustle of the station to fill the gap, to wrap the cocky bastard's voice in something more palatable than the awful, accusing silence. He focused on the crowds of people in the station, the bustle and the conversation, the snatches of music from the shop behind him, the burble of a mangy, hobbling pigeon after whatever filth it could peck off the ground. You still there? You've gone awful quiet. Wes's voice cracked. You can't control her, you know that, right? What are you up to? Why do you want her? I don't want to control her. That's what Gran wanted. That's what you want. She don't need to be controlled. She just needs a bit of direction. 
I offered to help before, if you remember, but Gran wouldn't let me. Wanted our Katie to be her little protégé. Things is different now. Ricky chuckled, and it sounded ugly. Much different. Remind me, when they called the vote after Gran died, you know, to see whether they'd let our Katie reach her 18th or no. Which way did you vote? I misremember. Where is she? Where's Rick to hand through his hair? He wasn't going to be riled, not by Ricky Bloody Porter trying to be clever. She's fine, don't fret. Ricky yawned. Yawned? What a bastard. I'm off home, thought I'd give you a ring, let you know she ain't coming. Wes forced himself up on shaking legs. Cheers, he said bitterly. Evening's your own now, but omens ain't looking good. I'd take care if I was you. Maybe don't go home for a bit. Am I supposed to say thank you? He pushed off from the wall and strode towards the nearest exit. People jostled and milled around him, a reassuring hum of life drawing him out into the night. Ricky snorted. You didn't seriously want her living with you, did you? I can't protect her up there, not from all the possible little accidents Uncle David and his lads could dream up, and you can't do as good a job as me. Anyway, won't she cramp your style? What would you do with her? Wes shook his head, trying to ignore the fact he'd been asking himself the same question since he'd agreed to let her stay. What are you going to do with her? he returned, but Ricky was evidently enjoying being inscrutable. Not your business, I told you. Another pause. This time, the sound of Ricky working his way up to small talk. You all right, are you, otherwise? What are you going to do now? Wes inwardly cringed and attempted to flag down a black cab, but failed. He kept walking, catching the traffic lights at a good moment and propelling himself across the road. That's none of your business. Ah, oh, come on, don't be like that. Just asking. Why? We're not friends. Wes halted in a doorway and clamped his phone to his ear with one shoulder so he could open the cigarette packet. Don't, don't hurt her and don't... He hesitated, searching for a word that would really sting. Don't infect her, neither. Infect her? They're an echo, your end. You know what I mean. He got one out and stuck it in his mouth, fumbling for his lighter. Telling her all that future stuff, getting her hooked on fate and prophecy and all that crap. There was a long pause, which gave him time to light it and take a decent drag. Standing apart from the rivers of wintry people, bundled up in the glare of the headlights and dull roar of the city, Wes felt inexplicably adrift, alone. The ugly, urgent desire to hit his cousin where it hurt rose up in him like pus from an old scar. Ricky sounded indignant. I'm trying to help. You're a disease, Wes told him, savouring the nicotine hit. What you do is like an addiction. I think Uncle Marcus is right. I don't think we need a soothsayer. Maybe we should be getting rid of you instead. There was nothing but the sound of Ricky's barely controlled breathing. You got rich because of me, Ricky reminded him, and Wes was gratified to hear the tightness in his voice. You got everything you have because of me. Yeah, thanks for that. After what you did, you fucking owe me. Wes blew a smoke ring into the bustling street. Worked out great. And you're the one who's going to die alone, but don't go dragging my little sister down that path of fate and destiny and all that bollocks. That's not fair. She'll figure you out. And when she does, she'll add you to her little list and you'll be brown bread like the rest of us. Fuck you. 
Wes grinned, smoke wreathing between his teeth and scrawling his vice across the dark, cold street. He took another vicious, glowing drag. Still want to know what I'm doing this evening? Because it still ain't you. Ricky hung up. Wes relished the moment, but it didn't last. Fuck you too, he muttered, bounding out of the doorway to finally flag down a taxi. He dismissed his cousin's warning as bluff, but as the taxi got closer to his Kensington address, he started to doubt. Ricky didn't bluff well. He was pathologically honest, which always tripped Wes up after a whirl of parties and crowds and people who thrived on drama and doublespeak. Wes watched the city crawl by, guilt and relief doing an unpleasant tango in his chest. He climbed out of his taxi outside a Georgian building on a bare, swept street of grasping twigs and frosty streetlights. He was currently living rent-free in the penthouse provided by Hugo's dear old dad, who would cut Hugo off without a second thought if the poor boy displayed any sign of independent thought, or, indeed, if Hugo Senior ever found out about Wes. Someone was waiting for him. A stocky man in a nondescript suit, with a weathered look of a seasoned enforcer. Wes's stomach dropped. Maybe don't go home for a bit. Ricky hadn't been bluffing. Too late now. He cleared his throat and adjusted his silk scarf. All right, Mr Bill? Mr Bill, not his real name, but a moniker given to him because he always turned up when people Mr Bill, blocked the door, taking a deceptively relaxed stance. Your Uncle Barry wants a word. Wes shook his head. No, I'd done my bit for this month. He can't go adding days when he feels like it. That wasn't that you're coming with us, son. Don't make it difficult. Wes spotted a car parked in a residence-only spot and blew out a slow breath. Thank Grandad that Katie hadn't actually shown up, eh? Ricky Porter, you sly old sod. You could have bloody warned me properly. He rubbed the back of his neck. Look, the last batch made me lose time. I don't... I got places to be, you know, I... You should have thought of your busy schedule before you stole from him, shouldn't you? The man's monotone was matter-of-fact, but Wes detected a hint of judgment. It was just a bit of cat for fuck's sake. I only took it for a bit of fun. It wasn't the crown jewels. Wes rubbed his face, noticing the bigger man never looked directly at him. He knew better than to stare at Wes's face for too long. All right, all right, I'm coming. Charlie was going to video call him soon, and he had to answer. He'd promised. Can I call my girlfriend? After. Wes clicked his tongue. Come on, mate. No phones. The man took a step towards him and Wes treated into the arms of two other muscular blokes whose footsteps he hadn't heard. One grabbed his arms and the other searched his pockets. It was all done in a few seconds. A swift pat down, wallet, keys and phone confiscated. Wes cursed inwardly. They walked him to the waiting car. This had better not fuck me up, Wes muttered. One of the men smirked, only briefly, and Wes groaned. They put him in the back, one either side of him, and for the second time that night, Wes found himself going somewhere he didn't want to go. Uncle Barry's setup in London was beneath an animal shelter. Mr Bill led Wes down to a maze of cellars where his phone wouldn't work even if they hadn't taken it off him, and into the clinical testing lab where Wes had had some of the worst and best trips of his life. Barry Wend McVeigh, a stout, balding, middle-aged man with no visible eldritch additions to his physique, lumbered around a dentist's chair, one meaty hand on the leather back. Wesley! 
uncle. You got a face like a sapdar, son. Thought I'd say it so as I could remember it. Uncle Barry chortled. Oh, balls, what did I just say? Never mind. You're the gift that keeps on giving, ain't you? Hours of fun for all the family. Park your backside there and strap in. Kinky. Wes knew the room intimately by now, its stainless steel accoutrements, the squeaking cages of test subjects, of whom he was one. He knew from months of experience there was no way out of the room except through the door, which was ridiculous at his uncle's part. There should always be two exits, preferably one that didn't involve going through Mr Bill, in case the meat mountain ever got a better offer from someone even more unpleasant. Wes didn't trust anyone when money was involved. He'd mentioned it to Uncle Barry a few times, but Uncle Barry only laughed and said Bill was loyal. That wasn't comforting. These are the perfected lot, Barry said from behind him. I want you to flog them for me. Parties. The kind you lot go to. Fifty quid a pill. Wes rolled his eyes and fiddled half-heartedly with the cuffs on the chair. Each? What do they do? Suck you off and call you a cab? Dirty little bugger. His uncle handed him a small pill, white and round about the size of a tic-tac. Wes hoped it was posh molly, but Uncle Barry tended to go in for more dramatic effects than mild synthetic euphoria. Let's see what happens. Unlock your true potential, all that jazz. Oh, it's not these again. Wes had tried a version of this before and spent two days unsure of whether his thoughts were manifesting in the real world, unlikely, or if he had finally had some sort of psychotic break, far more probable. It had been awful, and the best he could describe it was like lucid dreaming without it being either lucid or a dream. Charlie said he talked a lot of crap and forbade him from doing it again. He hadn't told her it wasn't exactly a choice. Better she think he was just an arsehole than worry about him being actively in danger. He took the pill, and a twitchy little lab rat in a white coat, on a break from cooking meth by the smell of him, handed him a glass of water. Wes took the pill dry, pushing it back into his throat and swallowing. It didn't take long to kick in. Thoughts swirled before his eyes, manifesting in clouds that he could walk around, touch, manipulate. He danced with them, tripping over things that didn't belong there, parties and sex thrown together with strange dark landscapes he'd never seen, family arguments chasing him down corridors where a red sticky cocoon pulsed, blocking his path. He knew there was something he needed to do, something he ought to remember, but his head filled up with silvery threads and sparkling dust and he gave in and lost himself in the visions and chased the thoughts he wanted to last. He soon forgot about his sister. Did you know that I have Kofi memberships active now? So I have two tiers. That's the Eldritch Seekers tier at £3 per month 
and for that you get Discord access to my Discord server with all the private channels as well as the public channels enabled. You get exclusive content and you also get access to links like free beta audiobooks, um, beta reads, that kind of thing. So you get a lot of exclusive stuff. If you want to join at the Eldritch Family tier, which is the next one up and £5 per month, um, that one also includes handwritten postcards and merchandise that gets sent to you by me. Um, also signed book plates for any books of mine that you have. Um, and you also get postcards from Fairwood House, um, some of which are written in characters. So if you, that's the kind of thing you like, there are very limited spots for that. But in, otherwise, you can just leave a tip as a one-off in the jar um, as well. And that's perfectly fine and appreciated. Anything would be great. Thank you very much for supporting me um, and for supporting the podcast and for supporting my writing. I really, really appreciate it. You can also look at my Kofi shop and buy all the ebooks through me and I get all the royalties instead of um, just a percentage. So check that out if there's anything of mine you don't have that you fancy, especially the short stories which are 99p or 1.99. It'd be really appreciated if you bought them direct from me um, that way. So the downloads are available as ePubs and Mobi files, so they're compatible with all e-readers and your Kindle as well. Thank you very much. Um, hope to see you again soon. Bye now.